Hello and welcome. Um, my name is Steve Pugh and if we don't know each other, uh, kind of once a week, maybe a bit longer, it depends on how kind of busy and stuff I've got going on. I do something called a growth strategy podcast and what I try and do is introduce you to interesting people that can hopefully help your business or career. People that can kind of add value and almost are kind of on a similar journey to yourself if you ever have aims and ambitions to either start your own thing. But then likewise talking about like real issues stuff that's actually happened like this week and next week and stuff that hopefully you might kind of find interesting because actually it's often very difficult to find like-minded people when you're busy when you're grafting away and doing stuff who to kind of you know share their journey almost talk about stuff that they've done how they found it or likewise you know say if you're maybe a bit younger and you're thinking about doing your own thing and maybe school isn't really for you or you're at uni and you're not sure what you want to do actually just having people that you can kind of learn from or what their journey was like was hopefully quite interesting um so scott who i'm going to introduce you to today has a fantastic business which we're going to go really into it is a lot harder in my opinion to start a product-based business which is what scott's kind of done with his kind of gin brand so it'd be really interesting to go, go into that and problems he's faced and that kind of thing and then if you join us for the next kind of 40 or so minutes you know be hopefully if you have any comments please feel to you know free to message and they should pop up on my screen and then this all gets clipped up and goes on to youtube and itunes and spotify and all of the usual kind of providers as well so scott i'm just going to bring you in there we go uh, everyone can now kind of see you and hear you would you like to say hi to everyone uh, hi everyone uh, my name is scott and uh, i own a company called wl distillery and just before or it, it was my question when i came on the call that is a real actual thing it's not a green screen behind you no no that's uh, some of the equipment it's not in use at the moment because it's getting some uh, work done but that is a, a larger version of uh, some equipment that you can use for producing spirits such as gin what exactly is it almost as an engineer it looks like some sort of distillation tower or something it's just a mini version of what you get in chemical plants yeah i'll just sort of lean out of the way a little bit yeah so it's mainly in sort of three parts so you have the the main copper pot still here um which is essentially a large cauldron which you put all your botanicals and your raw materials on and then you heat it from the base and then it becomes a vapor and travels up these pipes and then depending on what you want to do with it uh depends on which way you go so this is a fractal distillation column as you say and each one of these is a smaller version of the still and it redistills itself through it's very good for spirits like vodka it adds strength and purity uh, this little silver box here is what we call a gin basket you put your lighter botanicals like floral uh, elements in and the vapor passes through and takes the flavor and then they condense it back into a liquid. This is essentially a large cooling tower. The vapor comes in at the top, uh, is met with cold water in a jacket, and then it comes out the bottom as a liquid. I've got to ask, I know how difficult that would be to point over your shot. How many times have you done that? You must do that once a day. Surprisingly, no. You notice at the beginning I started going the wrong way and then I corrected myself. <laughs> But what's also quite funny is that so I did mechanical engineering and we did modules on chemical engineering and how you basically uh, hydrocarbons and how you basically crack chains to get different elements and it seems actually very similar but obviously that's for I guess alcohol is a hydrocarbon but it's just a, you know it's it's fascinating how science can kind of be used in different ways and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot more science in distillation than I agreed or signed up for at the beginning. It was you know you have the equipment, gin comes out, but yeah, there is a a lot uh, of variation through temperature, through uh, what botanicals react differently to ethanol, what botanicals react differently to water, what your percentages are, what your mixes are, how much of each botanical goes in. And that's why there's such a nice variety of flavored gins. Um, I mean, realistically, you give the same sort of botanicals to various different distillers and you wouldn't get the same product back after each one because there's a lot of variation based around the chemistry involved. 
No, cool. Um, so before we kind of jump into, I have a general structure of stuff that way I kind of tend to the, the interviews. Would you be able to, I think I'll set the scene quite nicely, tell people about the business, what it is that you do, how long have you been set up, just as like a quick summary? I just think it'd be really fascinating to kind of set the scene. Yeah, so the business was set up during uh, 2019, uh, the process to get equipment, get a site, get all the licenses and the provisions in place to start distillation, because it's uh, it's not something you can just sort of do in your, in your shed or in your kitchen, or at least you shouldn't anyway. Uh, uh, it took a little while, so the initial plan was for us to uh, launch in sort of spring of 2020. Uh, that never happened due to the global uh, COVID pandemic, which saw us uh, move to uh, producing hand sanitizer for a few months um, until the issue with that sort of calmed down. And then we came back and did a, a sort of soft launch of our gin between the lockdowns, August, September 2020. Um, and then we've just had sort of the last 18 months of uh, producing and and getting our products out into the world oh cool so i am going to ask you about what you were like growing up and your personality traits and what you were like at school but just before i do that how and why did you get into starting a gym business have like where did it come from what were you doing before i guess we're going to skip the first bit but i do want to come back to it but like, i'm just intrigued what what were you doing three years ago five years ago um, well, three years ago, I suppose, I was just in the initial stage of setting this up. And then five years ago, um, I was leaving a job in the steel industry and going into to IT. Okay. Um, so my career path being very sort of varied in different industries and sort of uh, moving through sort of management and operational roles um, until I got to a stage where I wanted to sort of go alone and, and do my own thing. Oh, cool, cool. So... What I'm going to do, if you're happy to, is that I love to ask people about what they were like when they kind of grew up, what you were like at school, almost, you know, what point did you, you know, follow your career path? Did you go to uni? Did you not go to uni? And often you do see with entrepreneurs, there are kind of certain character traits which seem to kind of follow through and that kind of thing. And I'm always just genuinely kind of interested. So where, are you, where were you born? Where did you grow up? Uh, I was born and uh, grew up in Sunderland. Okay, so local. And then what were you like at school? Were you good kid, bad kid, naughty, rebellious? No, I think I was very sort of straight laced, you know, um, did quite well in exams and lessons and was, was quite good uh, in a variety of sort of subjects, which I sort of carried on through uh, to A-level and, and degree. Um, I'd like to think I was more of a, a funnier person when I was younger, but I think that's very, uh, you know, subjective. Um, but no, I, was, uh, I wasn't particularly rebellious um i was just very much go to school do your work go home kind of thing oh cool what did you go to uni to do uh, i did archaeology and classics wow okay see I, I was i was gonna guess some sort of chemistry science engineering just because of so how okay so what did you do after uni then how did you in that kind of 10 15 year gap what what happened well, next? it's a bit of a it's a bit of a strange one because the original plan i was going to join the air force it's something i'd wanted to do since i was quite young you know, i was in cadets mm -hmm. i went flying on weekends all that kind of stuff did a levels and then during the recruitment process they said if you come in with a degree you'll get promoted quicker and you'll get more money so go and do a degree you'll enjoy and you can fall back on when you retire in 40 years or whatever uh, so that was the plan but unfortunately i graduated uh, during the financial crisis in 2008. Mm -hmm. um, so recruitment for the armed forces was stopped. Uh, jobs within archaeology and universities were cut down due to uh, funding. Um, so I was kind of forced to go into the real world and get a proper job. With, so I was hit by something similar. So I graduated a few years before, but I went into construction. And again, 2008 
uh, financial crisis it just it all just stopped it just tanked it was so i kind of be there and then just out of interest because i think it'd be an interesting kind of topic how did you find that process so a lot of us including me obviously you go through your career you kind of go through uni and you almost have an idea about what you're going to do next and then something changes how did you find that process was it was it difficult were you just trying to find what you'd enjoy i think initially everything had been mapped out for so many years and you were planning towards a certain thing and there was no there was no sort of backup there was no like this is what you're going to do this is what i'm going to do this is what i'm going to be in 10 years and that was all sort of almost taken away overnight so i think initially it was a little bit difficult to sort of go away from the fact that you had that mindset bearing in mind the roles i wanted to go for in the ref were age specific so Mm -hmm. if i wasn't in within 18 months i was too old anyway so i was uh, not eligible um so it took a lot of a lot of soul searching and a lot of resilience. And to be fair, at that time anyway, there wasn't many jobs thick on the ground. So it was a case of just trying to get into a job and and sort of continue on and maybe look at doing flying um, commercially or you know continue on and and path have a career path somewhere else. Yeah, cool. Um, so what was your kind of first job? What did you go into next? Uh, my first job at university, I worked for six months with the national trust at a lighthouse in whitburn oh cool what kind of doing what kind of thing um i think the the role was classed as the education and communities officer so i was there to uh, do the historical interpretation of the site help with the volunteers do the guided tours uh do a lot of the outreach programs with the school uh, uh education work stuff like that no oh, cool sounds quite interesting so then fast forward me through your career almost to the point where you know, at what point, I guess you were working in different roles, did you think, you know, I want to do my own thing? What was that kind of process like? I'm just, I'm intrigued. Um, I suppose it came off the back of having a few jobs where I wasn't particularly happy and the people who I worked for weren't particularly great. Uh, and it was just the sort of case of, you know, they were trying to sound particularly petty, you know, I could do this better or I could mm-hmm. do my own thing. Um, and it just got to a point where there was an opportunity for, for me to sort of take that leap and it, it seemed the right time to do it. No, oh, cool. So when, why gin? Why didn't you start a photography business or I don't know, anything? What, what, what was it that kind of got you into that industry? Well, I mean, I've always enjoyed alcohol in a, in a non-alcoholic way. You know, I enjoy how things are made, uh, processes are quite like, uh, the engineering side, I spent a lot of time uh, in steel manufacture. Uh, mm-hmm. That was sort of the job between the lighthouse and, and IT. Uh, so it was very practical stuff. We used to make uh, steel cages, which went into buildings all across you know Europe, like the, the Tyne Tunnel, mm-hmm. embassies down in London, uh, even the new passport office on the Durham Riverwalk. Um, but I think realistically what I did was when I was at this stage where I could potentially go and do my own thing, I just wrote a list of all the things I, I liked and all the things I didn't like and the things I was I thought I was good at and the things I knew I wasn't good at and sort of went from there. And I was fortunate enough to do a, a course in Sunderland, which was on practical distillation, which started off as more of a, an interest okay. in, in that and finding out how things are made. I'd uh, been on a few holidays, you know, where you do tours around breweries and yeah. distilleries. Like, oh, this is this is actually very interesting when you get down under some bolts. But I wonder if it's, you know, it's something you could do yourself. And then it just sort of developed from there. Wow. I must admit, so actually, so how, I think this would be a really interesting bit to kind of clip up, but almost where, so how did you go from, um, I guess you were still working, but then to actually start thinking, you know, I'm, I'm tempted to kind of do this myself. 
how did you come up with the name what was that kind of process to actually kind of make the jump because i think it's always easy um you know to get an idea but it takes balls to really kind of jump and make the the leap and make it real so i'm just intrigued how you kind of find that process um i think realistically the process to go into the company full-time was, was very much you know 50 percent my decision 50 percent out of my hands because i was you know in a job i didn't like mm -hmm. it was it was long hours it was you know it was quite punishing there was no sort of reward for it and it was just a, a bit of a grind and it gets to a point where you just like, well no i don't i don't i don't want this this isn't you know this isn't my next yeah. 25 uh, 30 years so not long after i did the course i started seriously looking into obviously the process and how to get things going and then it just sort of snowballed from there because once you do one you sort mm -hmm. of automatically move on to the next process because you need to get all these things in place to allow you to actually manufacture no oh, cool sounds good um so give people the kind of the elevator pitch for the brands because obviously your website is really super impressive and we're going to talk about branding and marketing and that kind of thing as well but almost if you were to describe to someone in 30 seconds what you're all about, what your mission is, why you exist, what makes you special, would you be happy to kind of share that? I mean, I certainly uh, give it a go. I, I mean, I suppose realistically, uh, the business itself was set up uh, to allow me to, to showcase to people a variety of flavors of gin, some that we find exciting and, and really to give people sort of a taste of the Northeast. Our first gin that came out was based around uh, stuff that grew in my granddad's garden. So it's like apples, it's pears, it's blackberries and raspberries. It has a really sort of personal touch and I find that's very much uh, our sort of key indicator. And you tend to get that with a lot of gins when they've got a sort of backstory and things like that or, or just products in general. It's, it's the sort of personal touch I find. Cool, because did you see, because I, I... I used to drink more than I do now, but almost it felt like maybe four years ago. So, you know, there was almost a big change and an uplift in like the craft beer, uh, locally produced, you know, spirits and that kind of thing. Almost have you, have you found that there almost has been a change that, you know, that's a market and a grown market people really want to kind of buy into? I think there's always been uh, a scope around uh, local craft breweries and things like that. Most places tend to have one. Um, the push around sort of shop local uh, over the last few years has certainly helped things like that but realistically you are right about spirits it was an overnight thing primarily because the law changed in manufacturing ah. um, which is why you saw a sudden expanse of craft distilleries what was the change in the law was it just to allow smaller producers to do stuff or was it well, without trying to go into too much detail, so in case I get the figures wrong, the, the original laws that were in place had been there for, for quite some time. Uh, the laws were originally brought in in the, the 17, early 1800s, I think, to stop small-scale production of gin because it wasn't easy to tax. So back in uh, historical times, every pub might have had a, 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 a still in the back. Every country house made their own kind of spirit, stuff like that. And that was scaled back and and brought in line with certain laws so that it could be taxed and so it could be safe because distillation of things like ethanol isn't exactly 100% uh, foolproof. There is options for things to, to go awry. Um, so those laws were brought in place and it really meant that only companies that could produce extremely large quantities were allowed to function within the law. Okay. So an argument was brought forward that, you know, there's no restrictions like this for beer. There's no restrictions like this for wine, for an industry, the spirits, it's not really working and we can't sort of grow and develop. So once that law was, was changed, 
and the manufacturing levels were decreased. It allowed a lot of craft distilleries to pop up, which is why you've seen probably, I think it was 10 years ago, maybe the law was changed, there was a bit of a spike there. Mm-hmm. And then again, five years ago. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is almost overnight, but there's sort of reasoning behind it. Yeah, of course. Fascinating, fascinating. So in terms of, uh, you know, your, your business, when you kind of created the brand, I'm always really kind of passionate about branding just because it's that kind of thing of almost it's your window to the world. It's how you communicate your values and your visions and what you're all about and what you want to look like and feel like and sound like and that kind of thing. Yeah, because that's largely as would I be how is your business kind of set up? Is it mostly B2B or B2C? How do you kind of sell to customers? Um Originally, it was supposed to set up to be more of an even spread, but due to sort of COVID, we, we went heavily towards B2C because realistically, all of our B2B customers were were, were shut or going through oh, periods where they couldn't uh, couldn't operate. Um, so we're starting to see it sort of swing a little bit back the other way now that pubs and restaurants have returned and people are starting to go back out. Um, but realistically, we set up to, the idea is just to supply a product that we think people would like and they'd like to share with their friends, with their relatives, you know, yeah. so we're, we're quite happy to sell it to one bottle of an individual or quite have to sell bottles to bars and restaurants for people to enjoy while they're out. No, yeah, cool. I'm intrigued actually when you were saying about how the, even if you gave different people the same ingredients, depending on how they produce it and distill it and do different things, it will kind of taste uh, different. Do you have any like particular brand or style or anything that you kind of pride yourself on? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm proud of all our products, to be fair. Um, our first edition won three national awards within the first wow. three months of launch, which we're, we're really pleased with. And especially as we were competing against some very well-established brands and brands from across the world, which people, you know, would see on a shelf and instantly know, know what they are. Um, uh, production wise, we tend to dry, do everything in, in one go, which is everything in the pot to start off with. And then there's no alteration. There's nothing added or taken away at the end, which is more towards the traditional, uh, London dry style. Um, but no, I think it's just about making it, it, it seems a little bit personal because obviously you've thought of an idea, mm-hmm. you've created this product, you've developed it, you've tweaked it, you know, you've had all these weeks and months where you've made different products and they don't work, they don't quite taste right. So it's just really great to finally get to a product that you're quite happy to, to, to give to someone and say, try this, I think you'll like it. No, of course, it's fascinating. And just from a, uh, as an engineer, and I work with lots of manufacturing kind of companies, is it, I guess, not serial production? Do you make batches? Is that how you kind of make your product? Yeah, we're with us being uh, like a, a small artisan distillery. We we make it in, in batch production, so so much product goes into the still, and so many bottles come out each time. Um, so we're classed as a small batch, really, because we only make sort of small individual batches as mm-hmm. we need as we sort of go along. Yeah. I mean, there is obviously large distilleries out there where it's continuous and the equipment run, you know, proof, processing constantly. But no, we're very much uh, very much small batch. Yeah no cool fascinating um so one of the the passions that we kind of have in in common is basketball uh, and one of the things i believe am i correct to say that you sponsor the newcastle eagles or the, the uh, ladies yes we uh, sponsor the wbbl team that's correct yeah oh cool and what i was kind of you know almost pick your brains on is that for any smaller business it's any business you always have uh, ways and means and different things to almost get the word out you know, raise awareness that kind of thing how and when and why did you choose to start to sponsor the team and almost what how what how else do you kind of promote the business to kind of raise awareness um i mean the the sponsorship of the team's a bit of a, a funny one to be fair because it's it's more of a, a, a personal thing again mm-hmm. the team actually came out and did some 
uh, work with my daughter in her primary school and she oh, got wow. quite into basketball. Um, you know, she'd had a session, she's like, I want a basketball. And then she started taking me down the courts uh, near home and was getting progressively better and better each week until I was, you know, getting hustled by her. Um, but during, again, going back to COVID, there was uh, posts put out on social media about uh, the women's team needing support from local businesses, needing support from individuals to sort of continue through sponsorship or or whatever. And I was talking to my daughter about it and she was like, oh, no, you've got to do it. You know, you've got to help them, you know, you've got to be a women's team, this kind of stuff. So that's sort of where we, we sort of went down the option with that. And we had a conversation with them and ended up coming on board as one of their sponsors. No, that's very cool. I must say it's one of the things that the, it still blows my mind. I know uh, football, Premier League especially is a different league, but when you have the, the billboards which go around the pitch, it still blows my mind that actually different people around the world see different things, even though it's the same camera feed. Mm. And one of my former guests, Chris, uh, was saying actually the technology to do that was kind of pioneered 15, 20 years ago. But just it's it's fascinating. But just in terms of a way to both align uh, with a team and kind of what they do, and you know, I'm really you know, kind of into the community ethic and you know that kind of thing. About I'm a big fan of the Eagles and what they kind of do. Um, and I'm not quite there yet for what I do, just because that you know all the money goes into other things. But I'm not against it in the future. I was just fascinated to kind of you know see it. And then how else do you kind of promote the business? Do you have Instagram, Snapchat, TikTok, uh, Facebook? <laughs> We're not quite um, Snapchat and sort of TikTok uh, savvy, but we do have uh, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, and we have we have uh, dabbled in the odd YouTube video doing sort of cocktail videos or promoting our our um, our products through that. Because one of the things that we spoke about before we kind of started, we're talking about photography, and as someone that is well into my cameras, lighting, my first business with photography business, I'm really kind of into that. And you were saying how you've just done, was it a social media kind of photography course? Would you be happy to kind of just talk people through the, what that kind of means to the business and how you use it and that kind of thing? I just think it'd be really interesting that people often worry that you need to invest 20 grand in kit and have certain things done when actually, you know, if you're looking to build trust and stuff with an audience, sometimes pictures on your phone in situ in a bar are better because they're real, if that makes sense. So I just don't know what your your take was on, on that. No, definitely. And and the thing we were, I was doing this morning, um, it was arranged through a, a shop in uh, Durham called Discovering Durham, which showcases uh, local brands and products. Uh, we're, we're stocked in there, as is a lot of other uh, locally produced things. And they put on a, a, a course this morning, just a short introductory thing with a, a photographer to showcase the best way to take product and brand mm-hmm. photography on your camera phone, because realistically, small businesses you know, we've all got phones, we've all got quite good cameras on. And as you say, with a physical product, especially with it being alcohol, we tend to see it more in bars and in restaurants. So mm-hmm. when we were in a new area, it's always great to take a photo with it next to a glass and things. Um, and that really showcases where it is and what the product's about, rather than having a lot of sort of set up pictures and, and stock photos. It's very nice to actually see the physical product in an actual place where you can buy it. And it also helps promote the location, it helps promote the brand. Um, and it was just nice to be able to even just some little sort of tips and tricks because you know not everyone's a photographer we've all got quite good cameras on our phones but even just little sort of tweaks here and there can really make a difference to to your photos and i think that's really helpful for you know like small businesses um especially with one-man bands because you if you're selling a product a physical product you want it to look as best as possible Mm -hmm. um if it's a blurry photo in the dark it's not you know gonna get people to to become interested in it no cool 
Um, one thing that I'm interested to talk about, if you are, is almost the. So, how long have you been running now? So, two years, give or take. Um, to be honest, it's hard to it's hard <laughs> to keep up. Time just sort of like keeps on keeps on slipping by. Um, I suppose. Yeah, we've hit the we've hit the two year mark now. I think. Yeah, cool. Because what I was going to say is that almost how was it what you expected, even with COVID. And if not, what was different about actually kind of running the business and doing it versus what you thought it was going to be like? I mean, that's quite a difficult one because it's kind of hard to separate the COVID element mm -hmm. to the the sort of running a business because obviously nobody's business plan had global pandemic in any year, certainly not year <laughs> one. Um, but I suppose the good thing about running the business is, you know, especially when you're on your own, you wear a lot of hats and you learn very quickly what you're good at and what you're not good at and where you need to potentially outsource or where you need to develop some more skills. Um, uh, I suppose I saw the business developing along a little bit of a different line to what it has, but it's it still developed and, you know, it's expanded and we, we, we've had our products out and about and people are really enjoying them and like sharing them with their family and stuff like that. So that was the element that we sort of wanted to focus on and where we wanted to aim. Um, but I suppose that the other bits is, is basically just sort of breaking into the market. We expected that there potentially be a little bit easier and a little bit quicker but again, that's generally down to the fact that a lot of places have been uh, been shut for so long. No, no, it's it's a valid point. It's, it's that balance of when knowing how difficult it is to produce something. Like you know, I love your your how much time and effort realistically did you go into things like bottle choice, and you know all the tiny little details that most people when they receive a product they think it just comes and that's it. But so, you know, how did you kind of go through that process? Did you look at 50 different bottles? Did you go and cost? I'm just trying to intrigue, you know, about the the process of developing a new kind of product from scratch. No, I mean, you are right. There is a lot of, there was a lot of elements that go into that bottle shape being one of them. You know, we went to various different suppliers, uh, got a, a collection of bottles and then you get them sort of based on shape and size and, and whether they'll work with the equipment that you've got, which is mm -hmm. a good factor, which obviously we found out after the fact when we got bottles that wouldn't fit on the machine that we used for bottling, which was great. <laughs> and then you've got to sort of break into the other, other elements of, you know, will people like this when they pick it up? Will it sort of stand out on mm -hmm. the shelf kind of thing, which is why we went with a nice sort of square long bottle. It was very elegant. It was very nice. Um, and for our, our second gin, we've gone with a more sort of stucky square bottle, um, primarily because it's a it's a nice shape. It works well with the branding. Our labels go around, which is quite nice. It's different to the usual sort of round bottles that you see. Um, and with them being shorter and stuckier, they fit better in packaging and things as well. So there's also a reduction in packaging and and uh, and and things like that, which we like to try and work into the products as well. Because I must say, I always find it funny that the the amount of detail and time that I'll spend looking at tiny little things that nobody else will ever notice. But it's it's your baby it's your thing that you've kind of built from scratch and it's kind of um and then what's the what's the dream for the business where would you love to be in say five years ten years i think realistically the five-year ten-year plan is still very much the same as we set up like to continue to expand bring on more staff uh branch out into uh, other products potentially some complementary products that go along quite nicely with the gin and just to build a a nice size business which then can be you know passed on in the future if i retire um and uh you know just to, to keep producing uh, our products and, and producing new products that people will enjoy no cool i appreciate it i think it's when you 
like it, the, uh, yeah there's two different levels of when i set up my business and i started to trade as a sole trader i was just acting as a consultant selling time for a long time and whilst that's still difficult to get off the ground and get revenue coming in and stuff when you actually go to make a physical product and you have to create the product source all the materials sort your supply chain out have it made solve all the problems when it was made and it's just it's a really wrong difficult kind of process and it is a lot harder than a lot of people kind of think but when you kind of go through that process um it, it's the constant iteration to constantly improve and tweak and hone and try and figure out where do you sit in the market is almost for me you know part of the fun of it because it's when you said at the start about how um it's always interesting to like what do you want to do for the next 20 30 years how i you know for me I I like to have a problem to solve that ironically there's a there's a phrase called ikigai which is uh, Japanese and it's all about finding something which is part of your passion but people will pay for it and you can build a business around it but actually almost true happiness comes through something that you can never solve it'll never be perfect there's always tweaks changes something COVID happens the recession happens and it's that kind of the fun I guess of learning and evolving and then how actually just on a competition element how how closely do you track your competitors to look at different types of gene or where you can kind of differentiate in the market or do you focus i guess like an artist would purely on your own kind of stuff and just get that as good as it can be um i think realistically it's the second one um we didn't spend a great deal of time you know researching all the other competition what everyone's doing all that kind of stuff because again it goes back to the sort of element of people making different things mm-hmm. other companies are not necessarily direct competition yes they make a product that's similar to ours but all of our products are very different uh, they're very unique you know we have a, a flavor at the moment which is watermelon and licorice it's very polarizing as a flavor it's delicious but people see licorice and go i don't like licorice and you're like well like that's fair enough they're never going to like licorice you you know, find there's another product yeah. out there that they would like and we're not directly competing with anyone else uh, for that um, so no the focus was solely on making the best physical product that we could make that people would enjoy no oh, cool that's profitable hopefully you know it's, it's always that that one bit that just makes sure it's kind of there um so one of the things i always like to ask people um it's just part of the process but it's also it's probably my favorite kind of bit on youtube is asking people two kind of questions towards the end and i think that people get real value in this because actually it's a way to kind of you know share some of your experience and what you've done and it could be from any kind of point in your career but what's the best piece of advice you've ever had well i mean that's a difficult one because it's very subjective isn't it advice um i mean it's really hard to pin it down because i suppose advice is is sort of based around the situation that you're in at the time and whether you take it or whether you don't i tend to find i've always learned better through situations and experience mm-hmm. um so uh, it's not really a, a, a good answer to be fair i don't really have sort of anything lined up you know like you know always do this or never <laughs> do this or watch this and then this will kind of happen um so i don't really know to be fair because i suppose again advice is very much based around the situation, the situation that I would have been in that I received advice for may not be the same situation as somebody else's, you know, even if they are in the same situation, mm-hmm. that kind of advice may not. Fair enough. May yeah. not help. Um, if you were to give advice to your younger self then, so you can pick any point in your career, you could go back and have a word in the ear of that person at that time. 
could be you know when the recession hit when they didn't get the job at uni or when you started the business if you were to give advice to your younger self what would it be i think realistically i probably would have went back to probably just before i started working when i was in college and probably advise to just be more confident in myself because mm -hmm. back then careers advice wasn't particularly thick on the ground and it was very much the same for everyone you know go to college go to uni get a good job stick in 40 years retire with a watch <laughs> and that's not that's not the job market now and it wasn't the job market shortly after i graduated the world had sort of changed and i should have really maybe seen that a little bit earlier and sort of took it on the chin and, and not wasted so much time in certain careers or certain jobs where you know like you put the work and it'll pay off because realistically sometimes it doesn't so I think I probably would have maybe not said you know start a business at 17 mm -hmm. but certainly be a little more resilient and look for more options and don't put all your hopes on somebody else because that's how it used to work in the past yeah how do you find almost being in control of your own destiny because I think I mean, some people will love it and some people will hate it. It's just, it's a... Uh... It's 50% exciting, 50% terrifying. Because <laughs> at the end of the day, if something's gone wrong or something hasn't worked out realistically, you don't then go home and, you know, that problem will still be at work tomorrow and you can fob it off to somebody else in the department. It's, you know, it's, it's your kind of thing. But then equally, the successes are great as well. Mm -hmm. You know, only after a few weeks of launching... Was fortunate enough to go into to, to Fennec in Newcastle and showcase our gin as part of that Christmas market, and that was a great experience being able to talk to people and and uh, share the products and just to see the absolute delight of people buying Christmas gin and, and knowing that they're going to take it home, they're going to wrap it up, they're going to give it uh, as presents for people. So that was a great you know experience, and you can sort of like really enjoy those highs, but it also you know there's also lows that come along with that as well. Yeah, cool. Well, I'm so I've really enjoyed kind of talking, and especially when you were saying about how, uh, you know, the 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 reward you won after launching. That must be such great kind of fulfillment when you take a punt, you see if it works. And actually, when to get external validation on what you're trying to do, must be quite cool. I'm not at that point yet. I haven't actually um, entered any awards and stuff yet, but it's it must be nice because there's so much self doubt and stuff happens when you launch your own thing, and it's not quite going as well as you hoped, and da 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 da. da. That actually no that must be kind of pretty cool and i've really enjoyed almost the story about how you know creating gins and also some of the challenges that you must have had when the bottles don't fit and things just don't quote to plan and that kind of thing as well um is there anything you would like to talk about or plug before we go um no i mean i'd be remiss not to shamelessly plug our gin of course uh which is um available from our our website uh, and we have our lovely valentine's range which is uh, out at the moment um, but that's pretty much it. If anyone wants to obviously follow us on social media and, and join uh, seeing our journey, you know, over the last 18 months and what we're sort of working towards over the next 12 months, then that'd be great. Cool. Well, thank you for your time. Uh, it's been nice to kind of, I can hear your phone going, not your phone. I think it's Sorry. your email going mental. It's fine. But um, no, it's been good to kind of catch up and just learn a bit more about the business. And then likewise, I'll definitely keep an eye out just for, you know, what happens next. And just, I, you know, I like to see good, northeast businesses kind of do well and likewise just it's that journey of when we've had previous calls and you've given me a few little tips about different things and it's that kind of thing of just you know i guess all kind of supporting together and just being in on it and you know best of luck with it and if you ever need anything just uh, just shout thanks very much cool well cheers scott and um i will speak to you soon thanks bye 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 bye, bye.